Now, let me say something. We try to, I try to do this every month, the beginning of the month, and don't often uh, remember to do it. Uh, but uh, we have really four values in this class that we attempt to live by and operate by and work by. There are four values, and one of them is uh, friendship, and that's why we have dinner for eight things, and I hope you've signed up for those and be a part of that. Friendship is an important piece to this class. A second of all is prayer support. Uh, that's why we pray around the tables and we have a prayer chain uh, that goes out. If you have prayer requests, as you can see on the slide earlier, you can send it to us. And we'll, there are lots of people to pray. And even when we have an emergency, we'll, we'll say, hey, we'll, we'll send one out and say, everybody, right now, we need to be praying about this particular need. So prayer support. Uh, third is uh, outreach and, and service to others. Uh, we have and we do at times pass our little uh, bucket around that, that we, we use that money to assist people that we know about. Uh, I've told you before in the past, and, and we tr we've got a, a committee that makes these kind of decisions, but we've helped pay for people's electricity, and we bought a car uh, one time. And so uh, the opportunity you have to do that, we don't do it every week. But that, and then the fourth one we're going to talk about today is Bible study that transforms, not simply inform, right? Bible study that transforms us not simply informs. There, there are a lot of things that we can know that have little or no bearing on our life. Uh, I've, I've already said before uh, many times, and I think it's true, of, it's true of me, maybe it's not true of you, I'm already educated above my obedience level. <laughs> right? Anybody with me? I already know more than I'm doing. You know, I don't need more information. I need more uh, motivation. <laughs> you know, I, I, so the idea of, of, of Bible study isn't just... Um, uh, information, but transformation. And, that, and that's what we're going to be working on today. And so that's sort of the first things, priorities, and practices that we've been working with. That today, really, what we're going to be operating with is a transformed mind. A, that the priority is, uh, if you will, to have a transformed mind. Not, not simply information, uh, but that it become transformed and it become a priority in our lives. And uh, we'll, we'll show, hopefully uh, we'll be able to see how uh, some of that works to, uh, there. Oh, by the way, let me back up. I, I've been traveling this the uh, last couple of weeks, but uh, I just want to remind you uh, or tell you or warn you or too many people up here. <laughs> um, Gary Shaw and I just got back from uh, Washington, D.C. We were paroled and, uh, and uh, went to the National Prayer Breakfast. And so here's a warning or, or information. He and I are going to make a report this, uh, from this year next Sunday. And uh, so uh, Gary sent me a text back. He said, well, we can do that. But, you know, it's Valentine's Day. And I went, it's what? And uh, so, yeah. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> that was an important text for me. Uh, but we're just going to share with you uh, some of our impressions, some of our experiences. Uh, last year, we went with four guys, and a couple couldn't go this year because of some different reasons. And we never could get everybody together, so we, we never made a, uh, our presentation. So if you're interested, that'll be next week. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of our impressions and some of our ideas. But this idea, now, go back to there. Uh, this happens when I get in a pressurized cabin. The guys up here get crazy. <laughs> uh, that, that this idea of a priority, as I was uh, talking to Becky the other day, I kept saying, okay, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about seeking the kingdom first. We've talked about many, many of these matters. But I thought to finish this, if you will, in this terms of priority and then practices I'm going to talk a little bit about is this matter of a transformed mind. Now, the, the most uh, common uh, uh, verse that you ever hear, I would say, about a transformed mind is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, or I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or worship. That's an interesting thing there. To present your body as a living sacrifice, not a dead one, which is very unusual because in Judaism, all sacrifices are killed, dead. This is a living sacrifice of your life, which he says is, he's a logikon, it's the idea, it's a logical act of worship. It's a reasonable, it says some, so which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. There are two words there, logia, which means reasonable and letreo, which is the word of worship. It's the work of the people. You remember the word liturgy? Some of you grew up in churches where they, where they talked about, I mean, we all have a liturgy. Some formal, others is, you know, most churches I know have a liturgy. They don't dare forget the offering, right? <laughs> right. So this idea of presenting your body is a living sacrifice, hope, self of God, which is your reasonable or logical act of worship. Your life is an act of worship. It's not when you just sing and raise your hands in church. It's when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed Paul says this, by or through the renewing of your mind so that you would be transformed by or the means of the renewing of the mind. Now, if you're interested, those are, those are some interesting terms. The idea of being transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. Uh, we, we get the term where uh, something begins to change fundamentally. Uh, one of the images there would be the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, you know, or a Texan becoming an OU fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hadn't happened yet, <laughs> right? That would be a metamorphosis. That would actually be an earthquake uh, somewhere. But this idea of metamorphosis, it's a, it, it's a fundamental change, this idea to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, when I was thinking about that, I, uh, uh, I, I uh, actually, Pam Northcutt posts on Facebook. I just probably embarrassed her. She posted something on Facebook that made me think about this because of the importance of the transformation of your mind, okay? The transformation of the mind. I read a report. She, she put a thing on her Facebook uh, that my teacher, six-year-old, said, my teacher told me I'm smart, and I am. There, there is research that indicates that the mindset of a teacher, the mindset of a teacher Robert Rosenthal and Lenore Jacobson did a study in which um, the, uh, and you read about this, it's called the Pygmalion effect. It comes from Greek uh, history and Greek uh, matters, the Pygmalion effect. That Rosenthal and Jacobson showed that uh, in this uh, practice that uh, these uh, administrators decided that they would uh, get their teachers together, I'll give you the short version, get their teachers together and tell them uh, now listen, uh, we've uh, tested some kids, and these children are, uh, you know, uh, excellent. They're they're high achievers, and we want you to have them this year. Basically, you're you're a great teacher, you know, and we want to reward you with this. So you've got all the the great students, and so the teachers went into that year with the mindset, I've got the best, I've got the best students in the class. At the end of the year, they demonstrated the IQ levels had gone up, the math and science grades had gone up, but then the administrators had a meeting and told the, student, the teachers, what we did isn't exactly true. <laughs> These aren't 18 of the best students in school. They're essentially students we pulled 
their names out of a hat. <laughs> and you thought they were high performers. And you know what they became? High performers. That's a, this is an amazing study that's been done over and replicated. The result of the experiment showed that distinguishing difference between sample students here that gained in that was the teachers expected. Their mindset was such that they believed that the students could do well. Isn't that amazing? That's my excuse. I had some bad teacher. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I tell my students it's a dangerous thing to be a teacher. I, when I go in the classroom, I think, you know what, Cliff, uh, you may be upset because somebody cut you off in traffic, or you, may, you, you better get yourself together before you get in that room. Because your expectations, your mindset of these students can have a direct bearing on their ability to achieve. We, we know this. There's also an effect called the Golem effect. The Golem effect is that low expectations lead to low performance. Now, what I th this, this is all mindset. You know, I, I imagine today there's a little game this afternoon called the Super Bowl or something that, um, you know, that one of the things I know about playing baseball and, and being in sports is that when a team's mindset is that we can't beat these guys, what happens? You lose. Yeah, there, there, there's uh, Carolyn Dweck, DWCK, has done a lot of research in this area of how important mindset. We're not just talking about happy talk here. We're talking about getting your mindset corrected to where you can achieve. I think the Bible is constantly trying to get us to get the right mindset for us to have our minds transformed so that we can go in life and in our experiences and experience what the Bible tells us can and will happen. I mean, a lot of Christians or people, I don't use it, but followers of Jesus sometimes that have what I would call a defeatist mindset. They've already made up their mind they're going to fail today. Before they ever leave, well, you know, I'm just human. I said, I know, but you could be less human, <laughs> right? You're, you're really working this well now. There's a defeatist mindset that understands the pressures and the struggles and the difficulties that basically gives in at the outset. And then we wonder why things don't happen. Now, I'm not just talking to Gary about, I'm, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about getting my mind transformed or getting my life, or my life transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I need this every day. I, 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 I get bombarded from the people up here and the culture I live in, bombarded all the time with saying, you can't do this. I, I told you I had a, had a student uh, some years ago, uh, an older student who came to me after a, 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 an assignment and said, I need to inform you about something. I said, what's that? He said, I'm stupid. <laughs> I got a weird sense of humor. And I said, really? Who told you that? Because if you're stupid, you're not smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> and he went, huh? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't he just be blissfully ignorant? He said, huh? I said, look, look, Joe. His name was Joe. I, <laughs> I said, look, Joe, if you're stupid... You had to have somebody tell you that to set your mind to think you're stupid. So I pulled a paper out that he turned in and I showed it to him and I said, look here, that's a B, B plus, you know, look at the catalog. That means above average. That's good. And he said, well, you're just being nice. I said, have you met me? 
I don't give grades. I record them. I can give you anything. And I argued with him and wrestled with him for some time to say, you're not stupid. His mindset had been set so powerfully. I said, who told you that? He said, well, a teacher. I said, listen, when you graduate, we're sending her a graduation announcement and write a couple of extra words in the end of it. (laughs) The mindset. What is your mindset? Is your mind and mind being transformed? Are we being transformed by the renewing of our mind? So I want to just run through some things quick. What are some areas of transformation in 2016 in our mindset? What are some areas of transformation in in, in 2016? Now, all of these words start with an A. I didn't start out like that. It just started happening, and I thought, hey, run with it. So number one, the first one here is this, an assessing mind. As an educator, I'm always uh, involved in assessment. Did the students do what we said they would do? Did they, did they perform at a certain level? And I find that, that often uh, in learning to assess um, are, are things actually happening, I need to back up and say, did it happen? Now, go to your table of contents in your Bible. Go to 1 John. Go to first, we're going to jump around a lot of verses today. In 1 John, in my Bible, it's 1171, or use your tablet or iPad or Make your grocery list or whatever you're doing. <laughs> I've done that in a faculty meeting before. First John 4. This is the first area of transformation in our mind, I think, that we just need to be reminded. We know about this, but we need to be reminded. Notice First uh, John 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. And them refers to Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. doesn't mean a person means a spirit of resistance against Christ. You've overcome the little children because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now let's think about that for a minute. When we go through 2016, is our mindset, I'm a victim, I'm I'm in trouble, I'm not that smart, I'm not that good, you know, I'm not that good of a Christian, or is it that I go through my daily life assessing and saying, now wait a minute, Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Is it in fact possible that we need to recalibrate to say this? I said this. Listen, I know know people fail and we all struggle and we've all sinned. You know, I understand that. But I asked a person one time, is the one who lives in us stronger than the devil and the world? I think my assumption is yes. My answer is yes. Sometimes what it is, I think our mindset hasn't gotten straight. And so we've begun this again, this victim mentality that we failed enough that it suddenly made us think that's who I am. I'm a failure. I'm I'm human. I failed. Okay, got that. But we need to sometimes reassess to say, wait a minute. The scriptures tell me that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. This notion of an internal presence this is mindset. It's, it's, again, I told you, Carol Dweck, in her decades of research with the athletic teams, she's a, a graduate of Stanford, determined that the way that teams or people think about themselves and their life has a direct correlation to their performance. Direct correlation to their performance. So the question is, is your mind assessing things correctly? Is it, is it, are you living, am I living in the reality to say this fact is that the one who lives in me, 
the one who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. Do you think about that lately? Have you considered that? I remember, you know, Augustine, the great Christian African theologian said, and it'll be related to some other matters. But the idea was that whenever we struggle in life, it usually isn't a lack of power on our part. Greater is he that is in you than he. It's not, a, Augustine said, it's not a lack of power. It's a lack of intention. I don't intend to. I don't intend to resist this. I don't intend to stop here. I don't intend to take the right turn here that I ought to. It's not a power issue. It's an intention issue. Because greater is he that lives in you and me than he that's in the world. Now, that's, that kind of jerked me up short once as I'm reading this and studying that to say, Cliff, what is your intention here in this matter, in this situation? Is it to glorify God? And we talked about that last week. Is it to glorify God and to bring honor to him? So you know what I'm, when I'm, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but you don't see my notes, so you don't know that. Here we go. Here we go. I'm telling you, I, we were in so many conferences this week, I'm scared of what I may say here in a minute. This, this notion of uh, uh, when, I'm, when I'm tempted, and as you are tempted, you know, I'm learning to not ask the question, is this right or wrong? You know, I, I got a pretty good idea it is. I'm asking this, why do I want to do this? What, what, why am I, why am I, what, what am I medicating here? Am I lonely? Am I angry? Am I hungry? <laughs> you know, in, in a, a halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's not a lack of power. It's a lack of intention to say, why do I want to do this? You can say, well, you're human. You're being drawn. I understand that. I understand that. But there's somebody in here it's a power resource that's available for me and is available for you for us to be reinvigorated and empowered for daily living. I'm not talking about being perfect and I'm not talking about never having problems. I'm talking about we need to recalibrate and have our mind assess we really do have some power here. I heard it. We did hear a guy. I'll talk to you later. But he was involved in incredible ministry in Somalia and other just terrible, terrible places. We'll tell you his story. And about a Russian pastor who for 17 years, for 17 years, was in prison and beaten in the most harsh conditions in Siberia. Gary and I were, were standing there and the guy's telling the story how that they finally said to him, Who are you? We'll tell you the details of the mic. Who are you? We've, we've tried everything we could do to break you, and we can't break you. I'm a child of the Most High God. Now, you just think for a minute. 17 years ago, where were you? Okay, just, just do the math. I'm, you don't have to do algebra. Just do the math. 17. So about 1998, I can do this kind of math. What do you think about living in a Russian prison since 1998 to the day and living in the midst of what is the worst of the worst? How does that happen? Because greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. 
I don't claim to understand it. I don't claim to understand how it operates. But John Wesley always said it like this. The grace that you need for the moment will be available at the moment you need it. The grace that you need at the moment will be available at the moment you need it. A lady came to him one time and said, I'm afraid of dying. He said, are you dying? She goes, no, but I, you know, as I look out there, this, these are my kind of people. See, I live in the world of the possible, not the probable. That could happen, that could happen, that could happen. Uh, and he said, are you dying? No. Are you sick? No. I mean, I don't feel that good, but you know. He said, when, you, when it comes time for you to die, the grace of God will be equal to that experience. So the grace that you need will be there. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he's worth. So here, I, I didn't write this on the, count, on the uh, PowerPoint slides, but I, I want to ask you something this week if you'd be willing to do. The next temptation you face, which may be before you get out of this class, <laughs> would you quote these verses to yourself? The next time you're tempted or drawn, just, just say this, wait a minute. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm a child of God. That this mindset has got to get in place. Or I think we become victims. Circumstances, situations, it gets crazy, doesn't it? It gets wild. People act crazy. People act goofy. Things happen. Jobs are, I mean, there are all kinds of things. I'm I'm not trying to, to make this some like Pollyanna kind of thing. But I'm saying that the moment that you need grace is the moment God will give it to you for what you and I face. So would you this week, as you face temptation or whatever, a struggle or, or discouragement? Okay, let's go to the next one. An accurate mind. Go to your table of contents and find the book of 1 Corinthians. These are all, if, I, you will, if, if, our, if our lives are going to be transformed by the word of God, these are my judgment or the things that we face all the time. 1 Corinthians 10.85, my Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.13. <clears throat> This is a verse that I ask um, all my students when they first come to Mid-America Christian University that have grown up in Christian homes, gone to a youth group like this, um, that I ask them, did your youth pastor make you memorize this verse? And they go, no. And I said, I want his name. I think it is unconscionable for youth ministries or anybody for that matter to put people out into this kind of world with just saying, well, just do your best. And not know this verse by heart. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. Now let's get our minds accurate. What you're facing and what I'm facing is nothing new. See, the devil wants to tell you, you know, you're not really that good of a Christian and most Christians don't struggle with this. That's ridiculous. Everybody struggles with what we're struggling with. Everybody faces the. It says that it is common to to man. Watch this. But God is faithful who will not allow, underline that in your Bible or your iPad word, he will not allow what? To be tempted beyond what? what? You are able to bear. Not what Marty, of course Marty would be in this, a lot of times. <clears throat> he will never allow you to be tempted more than you are able to bear. But with the temptation, what? Make a web escape. Make a web escape. 
Think about this. I, I tell myself, listen, here's the promise of God. God will never allow you. Now, you know, we get, I, I've sent some messages up. I think you just crossed the line. You just went a little too, you, you allowed it too far. He said, you'll never allow it to be more. See, this is where I think our mind gets transformed. When we're in temptation, we need to start saying to ourselves, greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. We need to be saying, there's no temptation taken, but such a, memorize it. My dad, when I was nine years old, maybe he memorized this verse. We couldn't used to get it from the table after we ate till we memorized the verse. It was a lovely experience for a nine-year-old. <laughs> No temptation is taken, but such as common to man. God is faithful, not allow you to be tempted more you're able with every temptation to make a way of escape. You can bear it. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. In the midst of it to say, wait a minute. Can I tell you what the devil will tell you? Of course, some of y'all know this. Y'all are experts. No, <laughs> kidding. Here, here's the tact. Here's the tact. Here's the tact. The devil will either say to you, you can't resist this. And he'll bring your history up and say, let me, let me give you some evidence here. And that's pretty compelling. You can't resist this. So he'll get you to believe in your mind instead of being transformed by the word of God to say, well, you're probably right. Here's the other thing I've noticed. He's going to tell you this, and this is especially true for young people and probably some of us older people too. You're the exception. You can do this and it won't hurt you. You can do this and it won't cause any trouble. You can do this and it won't be that bad. I've watched this over the years. You start listening to him, which I don't recommend. But he will tell you, you're the exception. Oh, sure, it's bad. It's not any good, but you know, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. No. This is common work. He says that God will never allow you to be tempted more than you're able. But with the temptation, this is where we, this, we, this is what we don't like. We want God to take the temptation away, right? Doesn't say that. But with the temptation, notice here, but with the temptation, what? Provide a way out. You have to ask your question. Back to my original statement. Do you want out? Years ago, I was uh, in college, <clears throat> a long time ago, and uh, we were at a movie uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, where my folks were living. And uh, my friends have terrible taste in movies. And uh, I didn't know that, and I just went with them. So we're sitting there watching a movie, and uh, it's going way in the wrong direction. And I'm a Bible college student. So I stood, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I'm sitting there, and it's, you know, I, don't hear, I hear voices, but not God's voice. I mean, I hear all kinds of stuff up here. I have to go through a very important vetting system, you know. But I had the impression in my spirit that God said to me, do you, do you agree with this stuff, what you're seeing? Because, you know, today I heard the last thing was they're paying $5 million for 30 seconds of advertising. You know, that's because the advertisers don't believe that what you see affects you. That's why they do that. They don't believe that. They don't believe that what you see affects you, so they'll pay $5 million for 30 seconds. Don't, that's, that's, that's a joke. What you and I see affects our values. Even to the extent, listen, I said years ago, I will never wear pleated pants. <laughs> they look stupid. They look like something in the 40s. All of them are. 
Listen, this, the drip, 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 you know, you got to buy pleated pants now. So I'm sitting there and the spirit said to me, do you, do you, do you believe this? Is this something valuable, good? Is it going to help you grow spiritually? No. What are you going to do? Now, you know what? I'm a pretty sociable guy and I like being with friends and I don't like doing stuff that's drawing attention. But I thought the only way out is out. The only, I'm not going to sit there and close my eyes and plug my ears up. So I leaned over my, my buddies and I said, hey guys, I, I think I need to leave. I didn't make a big spectacle out of it. I say, thou art ungodly. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> thought about it. But I just said, hey guys, uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to duck out. I'll be out here. I know when it's over. I'm going to go do some other stuff and I'll be back. It was kind of embarrassing. It was a little painful. They made a little bit of fun of me later. But the only way out I knew was out. It's out. You know, this notion of God will never let you be tempted more than you're able. But it'll make a way out. Some of us have got to find that change the channel button to get out or turn it off to get out. Some of us have got to find some other things to do with our friends that aren't followers of Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, you still go to ball games and you can still do things, but some of us got to find an out. Not, I'm, let me be careful. I'm not saying we can't spend time with follow, people not followers of Jesus. I'm saying you better be careful if where you're spending time with those followers of Jesus is pulling you down the drain. Right? There are lots of things you can do with people who aren't followers of Jesus. Ball games, dinner, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we need an accurate mind. Okay? I'm going to move on. Oh, oh here's the application. Oh, for you this week, again, uh, if you don't want to do the first one, here's the other one. I'd like for you to write this verse down on a card and commit it to memory this week. You may have a test next week. <laughs> if you don't know this verse by heart, I, I, listen, you need it. You need that available. You, you know, Chris, in a few weeks, will be sharing some about uh, the uh, uh, armor of God. The, the scripture tell us that in Ephesians 6, there's one offensive weapon. It's a breastplate, helmet of salvation, feature. One, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the only offensive weapon. I'm not going to get into your stuff, Chris. That, that's the only <laughs> offensive weapon you have. And I'm telling you, you need this, and I need this verse in our memory bank so we can pull it up at any minute that we need it. And say, there is no temptation that's happening to me that isn't common. This is not unusual. This is not weird. This is just part of being human. God is faithful. He will not allow this. And you know how he doesn't? He said, look at the syntax of the verse. But he will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear, but with the temptation. He's not taking it away. Look for the door. How do you get out? Where's the escape? So memorize this. this one. Here, here's another one real quick. I think, again, our minds need to be transformed. And this might work someday. Here we go. An active mind. Boy, oh, I got this one. I got this one down. Man, this one wears me out. 
My brain is constantly working all the time. Not very good. It's just working. I'm not saying I'm smart. Uh, some of us are afflicted, perhaps, with a mind. The only way I can say it this way is that it's, we just have a, a good imagination. Anybody with me? I remember driving to church not long, some years ago. See, when I say uh, the other day, it could have been nine years ago. So that's why preachers and teachers. I was driving to church one Sunday morning, just minding my own business. And, uh, and by the way, this is really because I, have, I, I, I struggle with anxiety and worry. I don't struggle with a lot of this other stuff that other people, but I, but I struggle with anxiety because I'm thinking of every possible thing, you know, every possibility. So I'm driving to church and uh, Becky's in the car and, and I'm, I'm coming up around behind this Thunderbird. Now we're driving about 60, 65 miles an hour. And so the, the time for me to get from the back bumper to the front bumper of that car was about three seconds. I'm driving around him. I'm not speeding. I'm just coming around him. And I just noticed the driver's license, uh, CDL202. And I thought, CDL, commercial driver's license. I used to have a commercial driver's license. I drove a bus a lot around here. I wonder if somebody stole my license, had a wreck, and the, the DOT's looking for me. <laughs> By the time I got to the front bumper. Now, you may want to be finding another Sunday school class now. <laughs> uh, where does that come from? Where, where does that kind of... Now, it's worked well for me at times because if I get... I've had times when somebody said to me, could you speak in five minutes? I said, well, I can speak all the time, but you mean make sense? <laughs> when I was in college, I asked our homiletics professor to all assign us a text and give us four minutes to get ready to preach. He loved it. My class wanted to kill me. <laughs> you know, an active mind. Some of us can think of all kinds of things that are happening. When I travel, I mean, I just have to just settle down. I, I, there's just all kinds of things. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. It, at the prayer breakfast, um, we're in this hotel, and it's raining like crazy, so Gary and I decided to just hang out. And at one point on this street, there's cops and motorcycles, and they're screaming and yelling at people and uh, uh, clearing the street. And I'm thinking, oh, this is important. Somebody important's coming through here, you know like somebody from the Washington Nationals baseball team or something. <laughs> Not really. So they're clearing the street, clearing the street, clearing the street, and the cops are yelling, at, get out of the road, go on, get out of here. And then they just sit there. They got the road cleared. I'm on the sixth floor, which is not a good floor. And my windows are open, and I walk up to the edge like this, looking. And the first thought I had was, those cops see you. The Secret Service sees you. <laughs> and they think you're up to no good when the president comes by as president. I just sat down in a chair and thought, they're coming. <laughs> Literally, I'm not kidding you. I'm, I didn't told Gary this. I mean, it's like I went, oh, you better get away from this window. <laughs> I mean, it's right here. Well, my brain tells me there's a sharpshooter somewhere over here, you know, going to pick me right off, man. I'm serious. I stood there like this. When I walked away from the window, I did this. I didn't move my hands up. I didn't put them up by my face. I didn't do anything, man. I'm just thinking, okay. I'm just stepping back very slowly. 
I was so interested in what was happening. They came, like that. I thought, I'm not going to that window again. I am not going to that window again. Okay. There are people like me, aren't there? My wife tells me I'm better than television, but. Uh, if. If you're prone to anxiety or prone to worry or you're prone to the future, like there are a lot of people, they think about the past all the time. I'm always thinking about the future. And my mind gets wrapped up in that. I want you to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians. Go to the right. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in chapter 10... Paul is referencing the matter about really this matter. And I, you know, I believe in this. I don't want to get crazy. I don't think there's a devil behind every doorknob. I don't think the devil's probably responsible for half what people blame him for. Some of it's our decision, some of it's just life. But there is this notion of spiritual conflict and spiritual war. It's all through the New Testament. You can't deny it. And, and Paul says this. In verse, uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 5, we're destroying speculation. Underline, if you're like me, underline that word, speculation. Well, it could. It could happen. It might. There could be a sniper that's about to pick you off right here. Well, it could. It says here, we're destroying speculations, every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. We're taking it captive. I'm not letting those thoughts run around in my head. They're going to obey Jesus. They're going to be the thoughts that come from him, not me. I'm going to take them. This is a very strong word in the original language. It's a very strong word. You have to take it captive and say, no. When I get out of town, no kidding. When I get out of town, I'm by myself or, or I'm traveling. I think of all these crazy things that could happen because I've seen them on television or something. But do you take your thoughts captive and say that thought is un, uh, or that, that thought does not honor God. That thought does not honor Jesus. That thought causes fear and anxiety in me. And it's not worthy of Jesus. I'm not allowing that thought a place here. I'm going to take it captive. Make it obey Christ to say, what did Jesus, if I'm, if I'm worried... What did Jesus tell me? Take no thought for tomorrow. Seek first me. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This matter of, of, of taking control of your thoughts. I, uh, when I was in seminary, <clears throat> there was a couple that was in my Sunday school class, and they really began to have some serious problems. And she was seeing a psychiatrist, and I was meeting with them alternatively to do some practical stuff with them. And um, her, I will tell you this, her psychiatrist, which I, I believe in, and they're wonderful people, I, was at his wit's end with her. Just we couldn't make any progress. And this particular person, I'm not going to call her name, you know, who knows, somebody could, you know, um, would, would come to me and say, but I have all these thoughts. And she would act on them. And I, sa I said to her, listen, um, you're, you're going to have to 
take your thoughts captive. And I looked at her and I said, and the reason, this is again why I'm not probably a counselor. The reason you're not is because you're lazy. It takes too much energy to decide. I'm not allowing that. And I told her, until you decide to take control of your mind and quote God's word and take those thoughts captive and say whatever, you're not going to get any better. She finally did. And we laugh about it a little bit now because she knew, I said, it's basically laziness. It's the it takes energy, guys, to take every thought captive. You know, I, I've had times, I, Becky, you'll like, you know, because of my imagination, I've had every known disease. I've had heart disease. I've had cancer. I had malaria. I, I got Zika last week. I didn't even, <laughs> didn't even know it. Yeah. You know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm walking at the National Prayer Breakfast, and there are people all around the world, and I think, you know, I'm going to get malaria. I know it. Somebody brought a mosquito with them <laughs> to bite me. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And there have been times when I just have to say this. Wait a minute. I will never leave you or forsake you. Though the psalmist says, though a mother may be able to forget her young child, I won't forget you. I won't forget you. I've said to God before, I will, whatever was going on, I say, though you slay me, I'll trust you. You can slay me if you want to. I'm not, this isn't happy talk. This isn't just positive thinking. This is saying, I'm going to take control of those thoughts and submit them to the word of God. What does the Bible say here? Martin Luther had a great statement uh, uh, the great German reformer when he said, because he struggled. I take great comfort that Luther had some of these same things, sort of. He was kind of nutty. <laughs> but Luther made this statement. You can't stop the birds from flying over your hair or your head. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. That thought comes, let it go. That, that impression comes, you just let it go. You say, in the name of Jesus, I'm loved, I'm valued, I'm his child. He'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. You know, that I'm going to take that captive. I have a list of verses I read every morning in my phone. Every morning. Maybe you should have some to say with my particular area, maybe it's a particular temptation. Then, then find some scripture, if you need, I'll help you. Or you can Google, you know, Google is, you know, there's God and Google. <laughs> he knows more than Google, but Google's pretty accessible. <laughs> some verses. I, I, I say it kind of this way, and I'm not trying to be flippant about it either. But I'm going to go on the offense. I'm not playing defense. I'm going to pull God's word and beat the living daylights out of that thought. I'm going to take God's word and say, you're going to submit. You're going to submit to this. 
You got rocks in your head if you think this is rolling through my brain uncontested. And if I have to do it for a day or have to do it for two days, I'm rebuking it in the name of Jesus. I know when I was in college, I began to do I think probably people thought I had Tourette's when I worked at a grocery store. I worked at a grocery store in Houston. I used to, some of you old people here, like, this will be fun. Gene Tierney, I carried her groceries out. Yeah. Oh, come on. The rest of you, just forget it. She drove a pink Rolls Royce to the grocery store. Loaded groceries. The devil would say to me, you're never going to make it. No, I rebuke you. You're never going to get out of college. You're going to get sick. And I would, nope. So I'm carrying groceries out. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know what? I didn't care what Jean Tierney thought because she didn't know me from Adam anyway, you know. I didn't care. Said, I'm not allowing this. I can say no to this and I can make it submit and I will and I'm in for the long haul and Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. So you just deal with it with God's word. I'm concerned with people that they don't have some verses. You know, when you feel far from God, what do you do? Just give in to that? Well, it says draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So an active mind. A, a, a mind that... So, so here, here's this week. Is there something you've been allowing to go in your head? Your, a thought, an idea, that one, isn't consistent with what you know about Jesus. Or what he's promised to be for you and with you. Then you need to, the next time that thing happens, bow up, we send baseball, bow your neck and drop that on him. And say, based on God's word, here's what's the truth. Apparently, for a lot of us, it's going to take some energy. And I, it's just weird. Um, it, it's just weird that... For, if sometimes we're so busy in life, we're going through, we don't even hear the stuff we're saying to ourselves or we're hearing the enemy say to ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? It's not subconscious, it's pre-conscious. It's just right under the, it's like a low-grade fever. Who do you think you are? Are you out of your mind? You know, you're, they're going to find out that you're not smart. You know, people aren't going to like you when they find out these kinds of, all these kind of things that are going on our head instead of saying, take them captive. So look at it. So being ready to take captive to the obedience of Christ. Replace it with something that Christ says about you. You're his child. He'll never leave you or ever forsake you. You're the righteousness of God through faith. You're an heir, a joint heir with Christ. Okay, now the last one, which is the one I'm still trying to figure out. So I'll leave, I'll leave you with this one. Then you can worry all week. <laughs> Uh, keep going right to Philippians. First, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. In Philippians uh, 2, Paul is, uh, we think this is a hymn. Its original form looks like a song, you know, that uh, had uh, four verses and was repeated 16 times. No, I'm <laughs> That was not nice. Was it? Yeah, it's called a worship song. I'm sorry. Gary, you need to come up here and take me down. In 
he says, uh, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own person. Not merely. You can look out for your own interest. Not merely, though. But also for the interest of others. Have this. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word here, uh, in New American Standard and other translations, I, I went back and looked it up. You may have a footnote here, but it says, have this mind. Uh, New American Standard translates attitude. Uh, uh, ESV translates, it's the Greek word phroneo, which means mind or thought processes. Have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to delineate that, really, from verses 6, at least all the way to 8. Which, which is the idea. So, so here's the idea. Paul is saying, this is the mind I want you to have. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who though... Or was found in the appearance of men, he emptied himself, took up on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearances of men, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Interesting that, that Paul says, have this mind. You know what? John Wesley used to comment on this, that he said that what he believed the New Testament to teach about what he would call holiness, or I call wholeness, wholeness. When God works in our lives such to bring wholeness that he says we demonstrate the mind of Christ. That our thinking, our thoughts, our values begin to reflect the mind of Jesus. Now man, that, that, that's a big deal right there. I told you, I don't understand all this. I, I've been working on this, studying, praying. But the idea here that Paul says, is it possible to have the mind of Christ here? Have this mind, which also was in Christ Jesus. This comes back to, I think, the first point I made, that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. See, part of what's happened, I think, is that we've put a large emphasis in the church in America today on information. That's okay. I mean, you need information. But we need to recalibrate and say, that information needs to bring about transformation. Transformation. This notion that my mind is like the mind in Christ Jesus. You say, well, Cliff, that's crazy. I, I don't think it's crazy. I will tell you this. I think it's challenging for me to submit myself. See, the mind of Jesus here, if you will, is humble. It empties itself. I, I said before, and I'll say it again, you and I are about as full of God as we want to be. Or we're about as full of God as we think we need to be. If I think I got life nailed down, if I think I got it all figured out, I don't have much capacity for God. If my 401k is, you know, humming, if my job's going great, if my health is wonderful and, you know, all my kids have straight teeth, wonderful. I don't have much capacity. But when I realize my need, I need the mind of Jesus in me. 
Therefore, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, here's another verse real quick. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 on this point. Go back left. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 2. I've always been intrigued by this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're not getting to the second part again today. Man. We're going to one of these days. I'm finished with the priorities. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 6. We do speak a wisdom for those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak wisdom... In a mystery. Mysterion there is the idea, the Greek word here means something that previously was unknown that is now known. It isn't like God's hiding the ball. Mysterion, he says this later in Ephesians, when he says the, the mystery's been made known that the Gentiles are part of this. So Mysterion, this idea, it's not like God's hiding the ball trying to make you fake out. He said, here, here's something that wasn't known in the past. It's known now. So this knowledge, so watch this. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, for if they would have understood, they would have not crucified the Lord. Now watch this. It, all, all the times we've been to funerals, I've never heard anybody comment on this. But just as written, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, and which has not even entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. We say, wow, that's heaven. Wait a minute, watch this. For to us... God revealed them. What? The mystery of what eyes have never seen. And ears. The, 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 the pronoun here, them, refers back to verse 9. This isn't something future. I've heard this verse every time about heaven. Things we haven't seen. It hasn't in your heart of men. Things that God made. Wait a minute. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. That the wisdom, the mind that God has for us is to say, I got stuff that people can't even imagine. And He reveals it to us. The greater is He that is in us than He is in the world. Just part of it, God will never allow you to be tempted. All of the, You just need to read this because the syntax here is not about heaven. It's about now. That personal or that indefinite pronoun them has to refer back to what's been related. And in Greek, it's real clear. English, it's not so clear. It's clear. For God revealed them. Verse 11, for who among knows the thoughts of man, etc. Watch this. Jump down. You can, you can read this later. Verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness. This is the idea of an unregenerate person. A person has not been born again. It's a crazy idea, but that's what the scriptures teach. Their foolishness to him, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet himself is appraised by no one. For he who has known the mind of the Lord that we would instruct him. But we what? Have the mind of Christ. And you're saying, Paul says in two different places. One is, have this mind, which was in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you already got it. Did you know that about you? Did, did, did you know that about you? We uh, saw some friends in D.C. again this week, and, and uh, 
a person I, that I've known that's uh, sold millions of books. I'd spoken to him earlier at a meeting, and I said to him, uh, it, it is such an honor to know you. And he turned right around. He said, Cliff, the honor is mine for me to know you. Now, I, I thought that's typical churchy talk, you know. But he looked at me and he meant it. And, and I thought, that's how you see me? That's crazy. That's nuts. You've sold 60 million books. You're, you're, you, you travel all around the world and speaking to people. That's what you think about. And I'm not feigning humility. I'm just saying, I'm, serious. I'm going, what? That's crazy. He knows something about me I didn't know. That he valued me. Do you know there's something about you you may not know? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. That's what he says. And for you and I, by faith, to respond every day, to say, Lord Jesus, let this mind be in me that was in you. Let me humble myself before you. And if you say go, I'll go. If you say stay, I'll stay. If you say left, I'll go left. If you say right, I'll go right. If you say just wait, I'll wait. These are, in my understanding, the priority for the new year with a transformed mind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, some of this stuff confuses us. Some of it sounds too good to be true. And some of it is so clear, we wish you'd muddy it up a little bit. But we know that the battle, the struggle, the place for much of what goes on in our lives is in our minds. Would you make yourself known in our minds and our hearts in the coming week? Would you help us as we meditate on these passages and think about them in our lives? That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds in 2016. You're going to have to help us. You're going, you're going to have to be patient. You are. And you're going to have to give us enough hope by our friends with us and those with their arms around us and helping us to have this kind of mind in this new year. And we pray this and we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.